Hello, friends, and welcome to the podcast. This episode is sponsored by DreamDrive.life. Explore Japan in comfort and style in a rental customized camper van. Discount code later in the podcast. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, have you ever thought about opening your own bar, cafe, or restaurant in Japan? It seems pretty daunting, doesn't it? Today, you will learn just how simple it can be. I speak with William Ryan, the founder of Japan Hospitality Consultants and the owner of the On Solace Irish Pub in Tokyo. William has been running Irish pubs in Tokyo for over 20 years and started his own pub in 2014. With this proven track record, he established JHC two years ago when he realized there is a real niche advising foreigners how to open their own food and beverage establishments in Japan. We talk about authenticity, the hospitality niche foreigners have here in the land of great service and omotenashi, the quantitative checklist for opening a bar, rule number one and rule number two for every new bar owner. I give Will three cafe and bar business ideas, and he evaluates the potential of each one. And he discovers the worst business idea he's ever heard. It's another great episode and another great accent. Direct from Tokyo, this is Now in Zen with William Ryan. You know, I originally wanted to record this in your bar. Yeah. But being your day off, you want to get out of your bar. Yeah, I wanted to get out because、uh, I do spend still 40, 50 hours a week in there. So. so, when you go to another bar, do you look at things differently than I do? Because I look at the menu and I look at the beers. I might pick up on details that other people don't pick up on. I would try to look behind the bar and into the kitchen as much as possible as well. Another thing I judge was, might sound a bit weird is. Tend to look at how high the ceiling is. Why is that? It's easier to create a better atmosphere in a place that's got a lower ceiling because it's going to sound a lot busier, right, when you come in. Plus, when I come into places like this, this close to the station, I'm always thinking, how much is the rent? Ah, you're breaking it down. I'm trying to break it down in my head when I'm、yeah. going to a place like this. I like this place, it's nice. I like higher ceilings. Yeah. Because it feels more roomy, more comfortable, and I especially like it when they play with the height. Exposed piping or yeah, ventilation, yeah. and they make it look a little warehousey looking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of like that. I worked in a place before that had a very high ceiling, and even if we had、um, 20, 30 customers in there, it still sounded empty. My place now in Yoyogi has got a very low ceiling, so even with 10 customers inside there, we sound busy, right? Well, cheers. Cheers, Matt. Will, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, Andrew. And welcome to the podcast. Thank you. You're Irish. Yes. Is there a difference between an Irish pub and a British pub? Not a whole lot. The main difference between an Irish pub and a British pub is Irish pubs will be done out in more of a country style kind of pub. So you'll see a lot more wood inside there. The counters will be wooden. You won't see a whole lot of tile. You won't see a whole lot of marble inside there. Whereas British pubs tend to be a lot more tiles on the ground, a lot more、mm. marbles. They'll have the counter over the counter with the glasses hanging down and stuff. Right. They're more kind of taverns that you don't really see in、uh, Irish pubs. Plus, Irish people in general are just a lot friendlier than English people. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just joking. So, I really want to talk to you about your new business venture called Japan Hospitality Consultants. Yeah. JHC. But before we get to that, I would like to learn a little more about your background,、okay. which laid the foundation for you starting. JHC. Is this okay? Yeah, sure, no problem. 
How does one get recruited in Ireland to work at an Irish pub in Japan? So I started working in pubs when I was 18. Um, my parents were farmers. I had no interest in that. So I moved from Tipperary to Galway at a young age. Um, I was working in a pub there, a really busy spot. And this lady from New Zealand, she was a regular customer of ours. And I got chatting to her. She'd come in a couple of nights in a row and I, I would have some fun with her. She was a really nice, really nice lady. Then one night she just turned to me and said, do you want to go live in Japan for six months? And me being the naive 21-year-old that I was at the time, I was like, I don't speak any Japanese. But she works for a hospitality recruitment agency. She was like, just go to Japan for six months. There's a guy over there, Japanese guy. He opened up an Irish pub and he wants to be really, really Irish. So there's only Irish beer on the menu. He only plays Irish music and he wants to have only Irish staff and only Irish bartender. They were providing the flights, providing the visa. He was providing the job for six months. So I was like, yeah, sure. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? Adventure. Yeah. So I up and left and that was 20 years ago. And I'm still here. Yeah. Common story you hear amongst a lot of foreigners. They came here just for a six months just or a for six year. Months, yeah. They ended up staying for the rest of their lives. So they wanted you for authenticity. Authenticity, yeah, exactly. Japanese, they do authenticity very well. Yeah. It's often said that the Italian restaurants and the French restaurants in Japan are better than what you would find in Paris or Milan, for example. Yeah. So you being the only Irish owner of an Irish yeah. pub in Japan. Is your pub more authentic, say, than other British pubs or Irish pubs in Tokyo? To a certain extent, I'd say yeah, but I don't want to be disrespectful because there is a, a few other very good English and Irish pubs in Japan as well that I go to on my days off as well that I wouldn't want to put them down. But I'd say that the main difference is, is yeah, we've got Irish stuff and it's Irish owned. I mean, you mentioned earlier aesthetics, yeah. a little more architecture. What about the food and beverage? I'm talking about authenticity. So the food that you offer at mm. your pub, mm -hmm. is that is that like one of your mom's recipes or grandma's recipes? Uh, is the beer from where you grew up in Ireland? We would source as much of our food as possible from Ireland. And so we get our blue cheese. That's actually from where I'm from in Tipperary. We have Magners on tap, which is from Tipperary as well. Our only IPA on tap is from Ireland as well. We've got more Irish whiskies in our bar than Scottish, Japanese, or any other kind of whiskey. We would have a lot more beers and definitely whiskies yeah. than any other Irish pub in town would have. Do people come in for the whiskies or do they come in more for the beer? Probably the beer. Yeah, actually, no, definitely the beer. Because it's an Irish pub, uh, I'm an Irish guy, and Guinness. So 90% of the customers coming in, especially Japanese customers, would want to have a pint of Guinness that's been served by a real Irish person, right? And you draw the shamrock on top as well, which they love. I've tried to put them onto the whiskey because I love whiskey myself and uh, there's better profit in whiskey than there is in beer. Do you know what a boiler maker is? Uh, is that you drop the whiskey shot into the pint? Exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Like that, That's yeah. a good way to introduce some customers to Irish whiskey is to serve it together, literally together, in the beer. No, no, I, I would go against that, man. <laughs> okay. Because good whiskey, I mean, it shouldn't be mixed with soda water or anything like that. I think it should be savored and you should actually enjoy it for what it is. You're a purist. I, I like whiskey, yeah, I okay. do like whiskey. Customer comes up and they want a depth charge or if they want to have like a highball, obviously I'm not going to, I'm not there to lecture anybody on how to have their drink, right? <laughs> but for me personally, yeah, I wouldn't be recommending it either, okay? Well, it's like me with wine. I'm not a big wine guy. Yeah. But when I drink white wine, I like to put ice cubes in it and my wine friends are like, oh my God, what are you, what doing? Are you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I mean, it can be um, disappointing sometimes when somebody asks you, like, what's your favorite whiskey? And I will recommend, like, a good, maybe a Redbreast, 18 years old, or a Bushmills, 20 years old, which are really good Irish whiskeys. And then I serve it to them, and they say, well, can you put some soda water in that? But Japanese customers, to be fair, more so than foreigners even, they love learning. The great students, they love learning about whiskey. And this is true. Yeah, they love te- teaching them about it. They'll sit down there. They love taking it all in. You know, if you can explain yeah. it properly and how to drink it, they will drink it and enjoy it too that way, right? I've heard you say Japanese customers are extremely loyal if you can offer them a product or service that they can make a deep connection with. Yeah. Say to get away from the food and beverage side of it and even the hospitality side. So when we opened up our pub, we've got like... 12 customers consider our counter. So the counter is mainly for people come in and do want to have a drink by themselves or people who are just finished work on the way home. Very quickly, we got a lot of Japanese men mainly, maybe one or two females, but mainly men coming in after work and having a drink. And it turns out we would introduce them to each other. If they looked like they'd had a couple of beers and they're relaxed, right. uh, we would introduce them to us like, like Suzuki-san, this is Marai-san. Yeah. And it turns out a lot of those guys live in the same area. Some of them even live in the same building as each other. Yes. And they haven't actually talked to each other before. So you're building kind of community where people meet. Right. And then you're making this kind of deep connection with them that they actually met in Unsullis. Yeah. And they met in the pub together. And they'll drink there together. And then they go, go off on weekends. Their kids will get to know each other yeah. and stuff. Yeah, wow. So you're making that nice a center part of that community, right? You're a facilitator. You are a, a nakodo. Yeah, a to a certain extent, stuff like that. That's interesting what you say about being this facilitator. One of the key things a bartender needs to do is read the air. There are some customers that come into a bar, they just want to be left alone. Yeah. And they just want to have a drink. Or there's others that are there to socialize with you, the bartender. Or they're hoping to maybe socialize with other customers. And you as a bartender should be able to read that and also facilitate that. That's also what makes a great atmosphere at a bar. Cookie Oyama. Reading the air. No, I agree. That's That's a really good point. Without trying to sound pretentious, that's really hard to teach. You can read a room or you can't. With experience, it comes, and you will get a lot better at it. But what I see in a lot of bartenders is they want to make it more about themselves than they want to make it about the customer's experience. When the craft beer boom really started here about seven, eight years ago, and I really like craft beer as well, it's like you'd walk into a place and you'd order whatever IPA it was, and it was good and you would enjoy it, but some customers would really want to know all about the IPA and where's it come from. But somebody like me, I was like, okay, where's the IPA from? What's the IBU? And I'm fine. Hold on a second. You're using terminology that most people don't know. IBU. Uh, International Bitterness Unit. How bitter is this beer going to be? The higher the IBU number, the more bitter your beer is. I would like to say an IBU around 40 or 50. But the point is, I don't need the whole history of the beer and where it came from. You know what I mean? I I, I don't need to know everything about it. It's like I just want to enjoy the beer, you know? Right. But obviously, a lot of people who work in these craft beer bars, they would love it a lot more than me. It is a hard thing to teach because you can either read a person or you can't. I think that's a good segue into your new business, Japan Hospitality Consultants. First of all, it's the best name you probably could have had. Thank you. Yeah. I'm surprised it was even available. Yeah, I was very surprised. We just put it in there as the off chance that it would be available, and then bam, we were so lucky it was still out right. there. Japan yeah. Hospitality Consultants, JHC. What is the niche, what is the role that JHC fills? 
just to put it back a little bit, I was actually in 2018, 2019, I was just messing around at work one day, I was on my PC, and just Googled how to open up a restaurant in Japan. And I ended up on Reddit. Some lady had put in, I want to open up like a Swedish coffee shop in Tokyo. And I was just reading the answers, which were 90% was bad advice, misinformation. It was just like, anecdotal. Can't get a visa. Um, the mafia runs everything. They will run you out of town. It's going to cost you too much money. You're going to close down in three months. This has been done. You can't do hospitality better than Japanese people do, etc., etc., etc. Which I don't understand why people would take time out of their day to give somebody the wrong answer to something, right? It definitely can be done. It's not easy. It can be done. Never had any problem with any mafia in my life. And I've been working in pubs here for 20 years. So that gave me the idea to start JHC. It is quite a difficult process to go through. I wasted a lot of my own time going down avenues that were dead ends, basically. And so I, a lot of trial and error. A lot of trial and error, yeah, exactly. I got the idea to open up my own place when I was 28, and I actually opened the door to Ansolis when I was 33. So what is the name of the bar that you own and run? Uh, my bar is called Ansolis Irish Bar in Yoyogi. Say it one more time, a little slower. <laughs> You're saying it's so Irish. Your your family, your friends back home, they'll go, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, it's a great name. It rolls too smooth off your tongue, my friend. Uh, my bar is called Unsullis Irish Bar in Yoyogi, close to Yoyogi Station. All right, so where were we? A lot of misinformation out there. You want to set the record straight, and you've got a great track history. I think if um, my clients, if they spend two hours with me in a private consultation, then it we can just cut through all the misinformation that's out there and I can show them the process from A to Z of what you need to do first because there's so much to take into consideration it's your finances, visa, locations, licenses you got to form your own company forming your own company you need to have your immigration lawyer involved in that as well because your visa will be dependent on that Yeah. and it's easier just to sit down for two hours and just take them through each step and this is what you need to concentrate on now this is what we need to get through first. Don't worry about how many of these restaurants you need to have. A lot of my clients, they want to have like three or four places and just like, let's just make sure the first one works. Right. And then after that, we can concentrate on expanding into two, three or four. But let's just get the first one out there. A lot of people have made the mistake as well that they think drinking in a bar and running a bar are the same thing. Or they're like, it's going to be as much fun. Maybe not the same thing, it's going to be as much fun. Which it it really isn't. (laughs) It really is. It is fun. But it's still a job. Right. And you're going in and you're clocking in the hours and you've got to keep an eye that everything is going okay, customers are having a good time. It's not the same as going in, hanging out with your friends and having a few beers, right? right. So what I would recommend all my clients to do is to go and work in a bar or go to work in a coffee shop or go work in an Italian restaurant first if you want to open up one. Give it six But months. haven't a lot of these people already done that? Isn't that where the passion comes from? Haven't they already worked at a, a cafe or a bar at a restaurant and now they say, now it's time for me to venture out on my own? I, 60% of my clients haven't. Really? Mm. Okay, so they're like a lot of people that I meet where they say, oh, I love baking cupcakes. I want to make a little cake cafe. Yeah, it Something would, it like would be similar to that. And it's a lot of people who are um, maybe frustrated in their jobs or they've had enough of corporate life, and they see this as a nice way out of it. When a hobby becomes a obligation, Mm. it ceases to be a hobby anymore. Yeah, and running a bar, running your own bar is definitely not a hobby. (laughs) And it's it's gotta be a commitment, it's gotta be work. 
it sounds like a potential occupational hazard could be if you like drinking at bars and now you're running a bar, you drink away all your profits and or you become an alcoholic. Yeah, and, and that is sad to see. But when you're spending 40, 50 hours, 60 hours a week inside in your own place, it's a very easy thing to fall into. It's because your friends are there, they're buying you a beer, you're buying them a beer back, stuff like right. that. But then that's when the lines became blurred between, is this your work or is this your hobby? So when a customer walks into your place, and it's like the Japanese people say, okakusama wa kamisama, and they want to be treated like that too, right? Especially if you're open up like a foreign-style places, and you might be charging 300 yen, 400 yen more for a pint of beer than the average place down the street is. And they want that reflected in the service as well, okay? So I think you need to lead by example. Yeah, very sound advice that you would obviously give as part of your JHC business. You gotta be careful of that. And what I say to all my um, clients as well is, no matter who comes in, everybody pays. I don't care if it's your best friend, everybody pays. My wife comes into my bar and she pays, or I will pay her check for her. Right. I go in on my day off, I'll meet some of my friends there with my kids, they'll come in with right. their kids, and I still pay the full amount, no discounts. Okay, what about regulars? Yeah. Service, is that not a good thing no, to do? No, that's definitely, and I do that a lot in my own place as well. Okay. Some of these good regular customers, they've been coming with you a long time. And what happens a lot in this industry is you'll make a mistake. Somebody will order two pints of Heineken, you've heard two pints of Sapporo. Right. And you got two pints left. And I'll just give it to my regulars at the counter or people uh, come in a long time. I see, yeah. When I say everybody pays, I mean it doesn't matter if they're your best friend. It doesn't matter if it's your partner. It's like when the owner is coming in on his day off, he should be paying as well. Because again, it's when you're not there, what examples are you setting for your staff? Right? And it right. keeps you disciplined as well because you're still you're treating it like a business. Yeah. And it is a business. No matter how much you enjoy your work or no matter how many beers you're giving out in a night, right? It's still a business that you're running at the end of the day. When I looked at your website, japanhospitalityconsultants.com, it leans heavily on the quantitative areas of starting a business. Financing, mm -hmm. location, licenses, corporate establishment, these kinds of corporate and legal aspects. Yeah. But there's not a lot of information on your website about the qualitative part of establishing a hospitality business. And that is the hospitality, yeah. the people. How does the service hospitality, dare I say, the omotenashi, fit into your consulting business model? I get a lot of emails. When I meet a client, the first thing I will ask them is, what size are you thinking about and where in the city? And that's the only information they need to give me to begin with. Okay. So I will do about two to three hours research by myself. And then when I meet them, I charge for the two hours. So I'm doing about five hours altogether. I charge for the two hours. And my clients are genuinely surprised by how much research I've given and gone into them. And they tell me they want to open up like an Italian restaurant. This is the area they're looking at. Under promise, over deliver. Exactly, every time. Because they have been thinking about this a long, long time. And I'm putting myself out there as somebody who can help you take you through this process. Sure. I have immigration lawyers on my books. I have people who can help you setting up companies on your books. And I have all this set up and ready to go. I have the websites that we use and that I use to find my own place. We will set all that up for them when I meet with them in the first place. Getting started, you need to know your numbers, obviously. But especially in F&B, food and beverage, the big differentiator is how you are made to feel in that establishment. And there's a big difference between service and hospitality. No, you're correct. The hospitality part of it, if you get that right, can be a huge 
differentiator. You talked about it a little bit earlier when you said you're a facilitator yeah. among customers. That's hospitality because yeah. there's a human emotional yeah. element to yeah. it. But do you touch on that? Do you talk about that? Do you try to emphasize that as part of your consulting business? What I always say to my clients is don't try to be Japanese because you're not going to be more the Japanese than the Japanese are. You're not going to be more polite than the Japanese are. Of course, you're going to be polite to every customer, but be friendly. Put yourself out there a little bit. Some customers come in, they don't want to talk. They want to be left alone. Yeah. Some customers really do, especially if you're like a foreigner running a place in Japan. Yeah. And for those customers, I would say is introduce yourself. If they've been in two or three times, ask them their name. <laughs> Try to get their business card up. Yeah. And every time they come in, would you like your futsuno beer de idesuka? Itsumono de idesuka. Yeah. And just ask them that, and the Japanese customers will love that. They will absolutely love that. Right. So you're be polite, but be friendly as yeah. well. That's what I think the big differential is between foreigners working in a lot of places and Japanese working in a lot of places. Because Japanese are very, very polite, but they're quite shy. So not overly friendly either, right? And they also have that, it's not really a boundary, but the customer is somebody who needs to be treated with respect and politeness. There's that social boundary that they're not sure if they should cross or not. Yeah. It's that old saying of be familiar but not too friendly. So does that mean that most people that contact you for your services, they're foreigners? All of them. 100% okay. so far have been foreigners, yeah. That leads into another point about authenticity opening a bar or a cafe or a restaurant or something like that, a lot of times Japanese really love that. Do you know this Japanese phrase, tabi no haji wa kakeshite? means when you go overseas, you can lose your shame. Because in Japan, there are so many social rules, yeah. unspoken rules, conformity. conformity, but when you're overseas, you can be whoever you yeah. want, you can yeah, do yeah. whatever you want. So in a way, going to your bar, yeah. I think a lot of your customers feel like they can let their hair down a little bit. Uh, yeah, and they can relax, and they can speak in English to a lot of times that they mightn't do in front of their boss. Even with my Japanese staff who work, who are, who are fantastic workers, I'm always trying to be like, just put yourself out there a little bit. And a lot of times I hear, it's like, I don't know what to talk to them about. Right. Like, just tell them about your weekend. Tell them about the movie you watched last night. But yeah. they're always like, Smalna, can I? Customers want to talk rather than be talked at. Like, That's just the opener. And once they start talking, all you've got to do then is listen. And so we get a lot of people coming in just to sit down and just to chat for a couple of hours. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, we were talking about hospitality and differentiation. I just had an experience last weekend. I'm a big fan of hotel bars. Mm -hmm. I often go to the Oak Door in the Grand Hyatt. When I drink a beer, I like a big glass, like a pint glass or like a rock glass. I don't like tall Collins glasses or Pilsner yeah. glasses or, God forbid, a wine glass to drink beer out of. And they know that because I go there, I mean, a couple times a month maybe. Yeah. So I went there this weekend, and they had the glass they know that I prefer in the refrigerator. They had one. Yeah. Just waiting for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I didn't have to ask. They and just, look how happy you are about that, right? Yeah, look, I'm talking about it now. Yeah, exactly. I was blown away. They serve the beer that I always I start with. I mean, there's a lot of staff there. Somehow the communication is... Andrew likes a chilled glass, and he likes a big rock glass, and he likes this beer to start with. But that's great hospitality. You're telling me about this now. That little extra inch that you go to for customers, they will tell their friends about it. 
how you are made to feel a little bit more special. People might not remember what you did for them, mm. but they'll always remember how they made you feel. How to made you feel. Well, that's both good and bad. That's the same, right? If you had a good experience in a place, you tell four people. If you had a bad experience in a place, you tell nine people. <laughs> is, that, is that the but ratio? That, yeah, and that's the ratio. People like yeah. to complain about yeah. how badly they were treated or, or what went on. Yeah. Right? Misery loves company. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Misery loves company. But it is a good question. We're in a very tough market here when it comes to hospitality and stuff um, because the Japanese are extremely good at what they do. They're extremely authentic in everything they do and they're extremely polite and okaksama or kamisama. Yep. The niche we have is that little bit extra friendliness and making people feel at home and making right. fe- people feel a little bit better about when they come in and say, this guy only came in once before. Ah, Susuk-san, you want old-fashioned, right? That's what you had last time. And that makes them feel... So good. Right. Explore Japan in comfort and ease with Dream Drive. Rent a customized camper van to go camping, take nature hikes, relax at onsens, or just discover the many beautiful places less traveled around Japan. Dream Drive has various camper vans for solo travelers and families. Go to dreamdrive.life to plan your next Japan adventure. Enter the coupon code ZEN and receive a sweet discount when making your customized camper van reservation. Dream Drive, the hotel on wheels. We all know that the past two and a half years have been terrible for the restaurant and especially the bar industry. In every crisis, there is an opportunity. So, was starting JHC great timing for you or was it the worst timing for you? It's a tough one because when the p- pandemic hit, uh, we were closing at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock at night. And it actually gave me the time to launch JHC. Because I opened up my own place in 2014, so I went through the process. I started the process in 2009. So a lot of stuff has changed, a lot of rules have changed. So it gave me, a lot t- it gave me more time to study Go to immigration, ask them what's the new rules when it comes to open new place. It's exactly why I asked you that question. A lot of people use that downtime to reset, recalibrate. If I was still working, I probably wouldn't have the time to think about it either. It's a good time to start a place as well because, like you said, opportunity comes out of crisis and there's a lot of places closing down now. So we can negotiate a lot better with landlords and stuff as right. well for, for anybody who's out there wants to open up a place. You can negotiate better about key money. Sure. Buying equipment has never been cheaper and stuff like that. What I see in my neighborhood over the past year and a half, two years, I saw a lot of places close. But now, all those places that have closed, something new has sprung up. So now is almost the perfect time to start a new business. Uh, F&B business, I should say. Is it not? Again, it would come back to... I wouldn't just open up a place for the sake of open up a place and it might be a, like a more a cheaper time to do it than regular but if you've had an idea for a long time and you're confident and you have the financial backing that this is what you want to do then I think now is a very good time to do it I think now is an excellent time to go ahead and do it We haven't gotten to part of the podcast where I ask what your untranslatable Japanese word is and you just said mendokusai. Is that your favorite untranslatable Japanese word, mendokusai? I have two. One is mendokusai. The other one is shogunai. Mendokusai is, is very good. It's for uh, in your personal time when you're just feeling a bit lazy. I think the best translation is I can't be bothered. 
Exactly. It's like somebody, can you can you change the TV or can you put something else on Netflix? It's like, ah, right. Shogunai is. Wait, wait, wait. So before we go to the next one, so I just ordered, I took the liberty of ordering a beer for you, Will. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I thought about asking you what you wanted, but I thought, you know, look, we're gonna have to look at the menu. We're gonna have to stop the podcast and or pause the podcast so you could choose a new beer. That's Menduksai. Yeah, you felt a little bit Menduksai, right? And I read the air, <laughs> and I thought probably you'll like this beer, so I, I went yeah, ahead it's and good. I, I made an executive decision. It's good. All right, so Menduksai, we got that one. What's the other one you said? The other one that I really like is Shogunai. Uh, that's come up a couple times on this podcast, yeah, Shogunai. For me, it just means accepting things that I cannot change. You know, I always ask this to all my guests. What's your favorite untranslatable Japanese okay. word? And a couple of people have said, like you, shogunai. But then a couple of people have said, but I also have a, an untranslatable word that I hate. Yeah. And they've also said shogunai. <laughs> and the reasoning behind that is that it's a bit defeatist. It's like, I don't want to try to make something happen. I'm just going to give up and just say shogunai. Well, I think maybe for me, I like the origins of the first time I learned what the meaning of shogunai was. I was at Disneyland. I was in Japan maybe a year. I was with a Japanese girl, and I was in the queue. I thought, Disneyland, I'm coming from Ireland. I thought, all right, we're going to go. It's going to be an amusement park. We're going to go on the rides and go home. The queue was an hour long in June. As it is. And I was complaining and complaining and complaining. And she just looked at me and she went, shogunai. I was just like, what does that mean? She was like... Like, I don't know, there's nothing we can do about it. I mean, there's no point in complaining. Right. So for me, it's just a nice acceptance term of there's no point in complaining. There's nothing you can do. Just put up yeah. with it, right? Because you can take a positive spin on it, yeah, which yeah. you have, or you can take a negative spin yeah, on it. Sure. Exactly. Yeah, sure. So Shogunai. Shogunai. That's great. <laughs> That's great. So we could have combined the two. I could have said, it's Menduk Sai to ask you what your next beer is. So I ordered you a beer. And you might say, well, it's not my favorite beer, but Shogunai. There you go. That works out really, really well. <laughs> so we used it in the same sentence. <laughs> or you could say it about somebody else. You're just like, Shogunai, he is Menduk Sai. There's nothing we could do. He just can't be bothered doing anything, right? Yeah, that's true. That's a good one, man. Cheers to that. Cheers. Yeah, I love it. You as... Japan hospitality consultants. Let's say I'm coming to you with a business idea to start my own business. Tell me if it's a hit or a miss, if I need to give up on it or pursue it. I will give the answers in a very professional way too. I won't be too Irish about it. I'm going to throw out a couple business ideas. The first one is, I love tequila. I want to open a tequila bar. How do I make it work? Why do you want to open up a tequila bar and why do you think there's a market there for it? Because personally, I love tequila and I think that there is a misunderstanding about tequila because every time I say I love tequila, 80% of the time people say, oh, I hate tequila, I can't drink it, I had a bad experience. Okay, then I would say no. 80% of your friends you talked to said no, I think this is a really bad idea. The first thing you answered was, I love tequila. Right. You didn't... I would rather you say something like, oh, Japanese customers are really getting into tequila, or that craft gin and craft rum is really Hayatol in Japan now. If you said something like that, I'd be like, when your first answer is, I love tequila, it's like, uh, yeah, not sure. All right, that. very good, excellent. Thank okay. you, sir. That's a very logical, great answer. Okay, here's the next one. This one's going to be a little bit tougher for you. I'm going to throw a curveball at you. Okay. It's called 
the Toast Cafe. Customers come in, they can choose their breads. There's like, you know, five, six, seven different types of bread. Whole wheat, baguettes, yeah. croissants, whatever. Then they can choose what to put on their toast. Different butters, jams, other spreads. And then last, they can choose their own toaster from various brands, order the condiments, they order the bread, the staff comes over, they bring, brings them the toaster, the bread, and the condiments, and they make their own toast at their table. It's called the Toast Cafe. Are you in or are you out? That's probably the worst idea I've heard <laughs> in, a, in a long, long time. Really? Yeah, that's, that's pretty bad. Why is, why is it bad? Because customers, when they come in, they don't want to have to make all those decisions. I come in and sit down. i got to choose the bread, the jam, and then the toaster, and then the guy's going to come over and explain about the toaster to me. Uh, I, I, w- I would pass on that. That's, that's a good point. I once, I once went to an onsen. For dinner, they allowed us to make our own butter. So they had like this little yeah, yeah. butter t- churner thing, and you got to like churn the butter for like 15 minutes to make but I'm like I'm like what the hell I don't want to do all the work exactly I came on vacation to an onsen I don't want to have to make my own butter just so just you felt mendoxai in that time yeah right? yeah mendoxai yeah. of course so the toaster cafe is the worst idea you've ever heard yeah all right so here's my last little F&B business idea for you now, this one, I'm sure, is going to be a home run. This one you're going to take, you're going to quit your job, and you're going to take this idea. I guarantee it. Can't wait. It's the Akaiwa Bar. English school meets British pub or an American tavern. Only English is spoken. Only alcohol is served. I could see this working fabulous for the first couple of hours. But as the night goes on, I totally see it going off the rails. (laughs) Consultant, what do you say? I like the idea. And I think you you will get a lot of media appeal when you start. And a lot of people will talk about it. But you got to put yourself into the mindset of somebody who really wants to learn English. When they're coming into your place, they're not going there to get drunk. They're going there to learn English, right? That's the main mindset when they step into a place. So they'll buy one or two beers. Maybe two, if you're lucky two. Probably only one. You're never going to get a foreign customer coming in there. Because oh, Andrew point. has just finished work. All right, he's coming from the office. He just wants to come down. He wants to have a pint again and he wants to relax. And next thing you got somebody chatting to you going, Hi, how are you? Where from? And you're having that conversation. You're building your whole business yeah. on people who want to learn English, who aren't there to get drunk. Yeah. We're there to drink a lot. Yeah. They're there to study English. So if you could charge maybe an extra 1,000 yen, thousand yen service charge on top of the beer that I haven't, and if you've got a location that's not exactly high rent, yeah, maybe. Maybe you have a business idea. <laughs> Good point. Wow. Will, you do know your stuff. Look at you. You can answer all of my questions, all of my objections. Japan hospitality <laughs> consultants, you know your stuff. Very yeah, good. You. Sorry, I don't mean to be too negative. But no, 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 no. These are all hypotheticals. You can yeah, be, yeah. you can be as brutal to me because I'm not starting any of these businesses. What I actually genuinely think there's a good market for is a really good vegan restaurant. Vegan restaurant. Full vegan. Everything is vegan. Okay. All the cocktails are vegan. There's no meat produce coming into the kitchen at all. 
in a busy, busy location. Okay. I think there's a market there for that, definitely. Definitely a trend worldwide. Yeah. I mean, there's a place I go to out in Komazawa, and it's a husband and wife running it, and the queue is out the door. Have you consulted them on how to maybe expand their business at all? No. I don't know. Maybe I should, but I don't want to be arrogant to be honest I'm going to yeah. like, you know what you should do yep. when I, and I have these customers and I'm going to write a blog about it soon it's like when you open up your place you've got to be beware of that you know what you should do because it happens a lot when customers come in and they're like right. they're friendly and they all mean really really well and I don't want to disparage them at all but it's always like I know what you mean after I, five beers you know what you should do especially when they say you know Will you know what you should do is you should give me more free drinks <laughs> When somebody orders a whiskey, do you use the jigger and yeah. do you measure it out? Yeah, 35.5 minutes. I was yeah. a bartender in the U.S. And if you measure, if somebody says, I want a Jack Daniel, a, a shot of tequila, you would never measure it. Pour it by eye. And of course, you pour more than the standard, what is it? In Ireland, it's 35.5. In England, it's 30. In America, it's 40. It's 40. Okay, 40 well, minutes, well yeah. there you go. Everything's bigger yeah, in the U.S., yeah. right? <laughs> If you were to measure, you would not get a tip. It also looks cooler, but in Japan, they always measure it, and I've asked about that. The answer, well, let me ask you, what's one of the cultural reasons why they always pour a shot with a jigger rather than a free pour? Because you do a very strict stock take at the end of every month. Okay. We're not in a tipping culture, so you just keep the standard. Another good point. standard, this yep. is what we do, this is how much the customers get. Fair enough. Could I offer another cultural explanation? Yeah. And I've heard this. A measured pour, nobody will ever complain. That's true, yeah. They might say, that guy got more than me. You didn't pour the same amount for me that you did for him. And so to avoid this potential conflict, they always use the measure. And it's always going to be, if you're in an Irish pub or an English pub, it's like, this is the standard pour. You're a bartender coming from a tipping culture, right? So the more yes. you pour, the bigger your tip is going to be. Exactly. Whereas we're in a culture here, it's like yeah. a majority of customers want the standard pour. That's they fair. don't want to get too drunk. Well, we could probably talk for hours and hours. Yeah, yeah. This is a lot of fun, but we got to wrap this up. But let me ask you this. You've got a very successful bar. You've been in the business here in Japan for many, many years. Yeah. And you now have a consulting business on how to open bars and restaurants. Why have you not expanded and opened more pubs? That's a good question. Now, I still work 40 to 50 hours a week. I've got two young kids under the age of three. I've got two Japanese business partners. We have talked extensively about opening up in a second place, in a third place. If you can hire somebody who cares about your business 50% as much as you do, as the saying goes, you should hire them. So replicating that authenticity, having a second place and a third place, I mean, it is a very good question. I, I, I've thought about it a lot. It's like, it comes back to how do you define success? Right. For my own ego, I would love to have three or four places. If I wasn't seeing my kids at all, and yeah. I was working seven nights a week, would that define success? It's your brand. And so yeah. if you open a second or a third and you don't have the time, again, I mean, you have two kids, you have two babies. Your business is also your baby. Yeah. Yeah, your business is my first baby. Yeah. It is. <laughs> okay. It is. I've told, my wife knows yeah. that. I've told her that. But getting back to the 50% passion about the business or not, what about giving equity? I'm not going to go into the bar business, but if I were and you go, wow, this Andrew guy, he's really 
he would be a great bar manager for the Ansolis Daikanyama. He should be the manager there. And once an employee has equity, they then have passion. Completely agree. We have a fantastic chef. I'm not just saying that because uh, he works with me. I've known him a long time. And the reason he hasn't left us and he hasn't been stolen for us is because he owns a third of the business, right? There you go. We've got three owners. If you bring a fourth person into that, to be honest, there's not enough meat in the bone. Well, I can sense your passion. <laughs> Congratulations with your business and your new business, Japan Hospitality Consultants. I had a great discussion today. Like I said, we could talk easily for another hour or so, but... Let's do this every week. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you for your time today. No I really appreciate it. Cheers. Thanks for having Cheers, me man. On. Cheers. And that was Will Ryan, founder of Japan Hospitality Consultants and owner of the On Solus Irish Pub in Yoyogi. If today's episode got you motivated to open your own place in Japan, contact Will via his website, japanhospitalityconsultants.com, and tell him you heard him on Now and Zen. If you'd like to hear more discussions with creative and unique Japan professionals, check out nowandzen.jp. There are over 60 past episodes to listen to. You can leave a message or even leave a review. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you next time. Bye, everyone.